live? Oh, there we go. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's give some people a second to tune in. I'm going to see if it pops up. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. I don't, I mean, I don't know if I know how to edit this, but. Uh... Anyway, let's get started. Let me see. Let me do this. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Bullpen. Here's your hosts, Rob Fontenot and Thomas Chavadia. All right. We got to add you to that. I was going to say, I'm not Tom, but I'm James Roy Tom. and I'm here. You're James Roy, the face of The Bullpen. So we are live here streaming on... Uh, Facebook on my Facebook, I guess. So you get, you'd have to get on Facebook and share it. And I'm on Twitter and uh, let me share it. Oh, I'm on my own. I can't really share it. Can I? All right. So we wanted to come on tonight and talk Texans. James Roy carrying the bulk of the work here on the, the bullpen podcast network. He's the all-star. All right. So the first thing I want to talk about, I wonder if we should talk about other things before we get to love you blue to get some get people time to come on here i i mean i'm open to talk about anything as long as it's texans yeah you do like the texans don't you <laughs> all right so let's talk about this top five texans quarterbacks i read awesome. the story i'd love to get your opinion on it all right so we'll start at the bottom number five Sage Rosenfeld, 2006, 2008, six and four record. That's who they have as the fifth best quarterback in Texans history. That's about on par for what I'd expect, honest. I mean, Sage, his biggest moment was being flipped in a, you know, like a helicopter in the air by the Colts <laughs> twice. The so. Sage copter, right? Y'all said that in the draft show. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not surprised by that. I could imagine there's probably better options, but I don't know. His importance to the history of the franchise and where he stepped in and what he did, I, I could see it. I think there were some honorable mentions, but I didn't get those. I should have. But I figured the guy at number five only played 10 games. That It's going to be pretty slim pickings. Yeah. So let's go to number four. Ryan Fitzpatrick. That, that's definitely on my list. I mean, I would put Fitzpatrick. That's the first thing I thought of was Fitzmagic. And even though it was a short time, like, you know, he ha had a habit of going into teams and just showing up and playing his best football for at least a couple games before, you know, inevitably teams figured him out. But, yeah, I mean, Harvard grad, an intelligent guy. Oh, yeah. What's not to like? Six and six record overall. He does have a franchise record. Do you know what, what record that is? Uh, I don't know. Longest uh, passing play? No. Six 
touchdown passes in a game. Okay, that was up high on my list of things that were likely to happen in one season. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what can a guy do that, that happened in one season? All right, now we get to the original Texans quarterback, which when I think about this guy, I remember a commercial that came out. Could have been a Snickers bar. I can't remember. But it was David Carr and a center, and there was no offensive line. They hiked the ball to him. He gets sacked. Number three, David Carr, 2002 to 2006. 22... Super Bowl champion, David Carr. Well, yeah. <laughs> it worked out for him. Went on and backed up Eli Manning in the Super Bowl a couple of times. So. 2002 to 2006, 22 and 53. I mean, I, I always thought David Carr would be number three on this list. There's obviously two quarterbacks ahead of him. And then I, I feel like four and five are just whoever you liked the most because, <laughs> I mean, the, the franchise has legitimately not had a lot to choose from when it comes to, like, starting caliber quarterbacks that you could rank on this list. There's some people that might put Davis Mills at four or five, and I wouldn't blame them for it because in the short time that he's played as as bad as it has been, he's still one of the more, you know, yeah. one of the better quarterbacks that's behind those three. I think you could put him on there at five and nobody would even notice. Nobody would even care. Pretty much. Number two. Now that we get to this, okay, now that we get to one and two, this is where I want to hear your opinion, and we'll compare it to what is on this story. I wish I would have wrote down who wrote it. No, yeah. I mean, this is the part where it gets controversial. It, it, even uh, a lot of fans don't want to put aside how they felt about Deshaun. A lot of fans didn't think that Matt Schaub was as good as he was when he played for the team. Both both quarterbacks had a season where they led the league in passing. Um and, I mean, when you look back at it, I think Matt Schaub's reign as starting quarterback was shorter than you think. It was about six or – oh, it was about six or seven seasons, so actually it was a little longer than Matt I thought. Matt Schaub? Um, 2007 I, to 2013. I mean, 2013 almost doesn't count with as many pick sixes as he threw, and then he just basically <laughs> – he was gone pretty quick. But in six seasons, um, I mean, he's still the leading – passer in franchise history by 10,000 yards um, roundabout and you know Deshaun Watson only had three seasons and was halfway there he was on track to be about the same so I think that when you look at the two you have to give it to Matt Schaub for the importance that he had to great um, you know the initial success of the franchise the initial postseason success what little of it there was and I, I just feel like also with the way Deshaun left, while that shouldn't factor into how good he was as a Texan, um, kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth. So personally, when I'm looking back at it, I put Matt Schaub as number one just because, you know, also like my, my fonder years of, of watching the team, uh, you know, 2012, right before he left, uh, that's my quarterback in terms of like watching the team, the best quarterback I've seen play for the team. Um I think that if Deshaun Watson had stayed even a year longer, he'd probably be number one, honest. But, you know, like I said, hit sour taste in your mouth from watching him leave, even though you're not probably supposed to factor in the off-field stuff to your rankings. But I'm, I'm going with Schaub at one, personally. All right, Deshaun Watson, 28-25 and 25 record, 1-2 and two record in the playoffs. 
Should have been two and two at the minimum. They blew that game to Kansas yeah. City. I mean, and that's just saying they lose the next game, but it could have been better. You could say Pro it should have, you could say it okay. should have been 0 and two. I mean, when you look back at the Buffalo Bills game where we came back in and won it, um, I don't think that it was Deshaun Watson that necessarily sparked that comeback. I think we were one play away from not winning that. I remember watching that game, and I'll tell you, I turned to my dad right before the big play that turned the game around. J.J. Watt breaks into the backfield and sacks Josh, uh, Josh Allen and ends a drive that should have been a touchdown, gives the Bills a field goal, and that's when the momentum turned. It's the same thing that happened in the Chiefs-Texans game where Bill O'Brien considers going for it on a fourth and short and instead kicks the field goal. Momentum changes. And so I think that J.J. Watt really sparked that comeback. I, I'm not going to deny Deshaun Watson's role in, in doing his part to get us back in that game. There was definitely you know a lot to contribute to him in that game. But I would say you could almost, like without that sack, I, you could very easily say Deshaun Watson should be 0-2 uh, in the playoffs. So next time we could do a – we could just do our own story, top five <laughs> Texans of all time. Because you talked about J.J. Watt. I'm pretty sure he's going to be number one, but I'd like to hear the top five of all time is. We could do any position. It doesn't matter. Uh, I'll pro bowler, three-time pro bowler, Deshaun Watson. That That is one thing he's got on Matt Schaub is pro bowl appearances for sure. Matt Schaub, 46 and 42. He's two games above 500. Deshaun Watson, three games above 500. Matt Schaub, 500 in uh, playoff games, one and one. Two-time Pro Bowler, 2009-2012. And that's when you said you you started watching him, 2012? So, I mean, I, I've been a fan of the team since 02 and uh, followed through the years. But, like, that's the when it got fun to, uh. me, to watch the Texans. Like, it you know how it was when the Astros were like losing a hundred plus games. You'd, you'd tune in and watch the games, but like you weren't exactly like, Oh wow. Gee golly. I'm excited to go watch the Astros play. It's like A's fans right now. You're like, okay, this is my duty as a fan to watch this team play. And I'm, I may or may not enjoy it, but I love this team. So I'm going to do it. And then in 09 was really the earliest season. I can remember being like, wow, I'm excited to see what the Texans will do. This is a, this is a team that can contend. All right, so you agree with the top two. The rest of the three could be however, but uh, not bad. So anyway, do you could do you think you can guess how many starting quarterbacks the Texans have had in 21 years? I could guess. Um, let's see. If I remember correctly, there was 12 different starting quarterbacks when DeAndre Hopkins was there. At least early on, there was a stat that was shown at a game to show – and, and it's one of my biggest selling points on DeAndre Hopkins. I know a lot of people have a, a bad view of him since he left the franchise. Um, personally, I don't, I don't really put that blame on him. Um, no. And people will tell you that he's washed because he signed with the Titans. I don't necessarily buy that yet. But DeAndre Hopkins was incredibly successful with varied quarterback play, which was, to me, one of his biggest selling points and why I thought he was incredibly underrated when he was with the Texans. So if I go from there... I look back, there's two or three, one, two, three, four, five, six, and then plus 12, 18. Um, I'll just round it out at 20 as my guess. You're amazing, sir. It's been 19. Ooh, all right. Wow. So the Texans drafted nine quarterbacks 
and then they drafted C.J. Stroud this season. He was number nine. So are we counting C.J. Stroud in the starting quarterback total, or he hasn't started for the team? So technically, no, start- no, I don't, I don't think so. Okay, so technically, if we if he starts week one, then then I'm then right. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he was the ninth one they drafted. They right. they they keep trying to get him. I think. I think they had the guy they needed with Sean Watson, but things happen. And, and it's I, to speak to that, it's amazing to see. I, I think people don't quite understand the magnitude of in 2021, everything happens with Deshaun Watson. He sits a whole season. We trade him the, the, the following offseason. And we're, we're three about, or we're about to enter our third season without Deshaun Watson, or sorry, second season. I'm getting my math mixed up. Now, this will be our third season removed from that situation breaking. And most most teams, if they lost their future franchise quarterback and were just, you know, traded away number one wide receiver, broke down the team entirely, and basically un not by any fault of their own, or I shouldn't say not by any fault of their own, but but not ideally the circumstances by which you enter a rebuild. And then to be where the Texans are right now, I think it's been quite an amazing stretch of team building. And um, I mean, I would equate Nick Casario's situation to Gary Kubiak's in, in the fact that the McNairs have been incredibly patient with him. There's not very many people that will get three coaches. Uh, and this is really his last resort, but D- D'Amico's success could directly lead to that correlation of a GM that's been given a lot of chances and finally had it pay off. So I'm excited to see what the Texans do this season just because of how far they've come from where they were all right so going back to the top five quarterbacks matt schwab pretty much has all the career records and deshaun watson has the season records 4823 yards three touchdowns so question number one for you can stroud beat these records i'm i think that in time he can um I think that with the recent discussions on Twitter about whether or not Stroud's even going to start game one this season, um, I understand that a lot of the conversation is is just meaningless. I mean, training camp starts in like, what, four or five days. So the, the Texans have not reached the point at which they should decide. Now, one of the reasons there is concern is that in the short time where, you know, Andy Dalton was the starter for the Panthers the, early this offseason, you know, Bryce Young came in and was within like two weeks named the starter of the Panthers. So I I understand, you know, you haven't seen him in pads and he's not been named the starter. But to some extent, um, I, I don't want to say it's worrisome, but I'm looking at it as I, I'm hopeful that early on in training camp, C.J. Stroud emerges at, publicly as the starter. Um, I'd hope they don't wait too long into the offseason to name him the starter. But to answer yeah. your question about whether or not he can break those records, I, I think he's perfectly capable of it as long as Bobby Slowick's offensive scheme, uh, you know, as long as he can make that work. Uh, it's yet to be seen. I, I If I remember correctly, he wasn't exactly the best fit coming into the draft for the scheme. But, I mean, the the, the offensive scheme is very quarterback friendly. So I, I would anticipate that he'll have opportunities to break those records as long as he steps up and takes them. Yeah, 4,800, that's a lot of passing yards, but that's the way the game is today. It is, and that's another thing that works in his favor is that unlike, you know, what is it, um, early on 
I'd say early on in Peyton Manning's career is the earliest that we saw like a truly pass heavy league start to emerge back in 98. And so uh, he's lucky that at the very start of his career, he's entering a league where we're, we're having discussions about, you know, whether or not your kid should try and be a running back because he's not going to make money doing it. Um, and the reason for that is, is the emergence of a passing league. So he'll have the opportunity. I, I think he has the tools to do it. It's just a matter of if he takes advantage of it. Just based on what you feel he's going to be at quarterback, how good you think he's going to be, is he going to be good enough to break into this top five? I think that... Like right now, would you you think he's better, that, that he's good enough to be on here? Better than Sage, better than Ryan? I think that if he meets expectations this season, if he starts week one and he meets expectations, he could very easily be number four, like pretty much right away. Yeah. I think that um, I see a lot. I, I remember when the Texans drafted Deshaun Watson, um, and, and I think Deshaun Watson's situation is a perfect example of why it would be frustrating for C.J. Stroud to not start week one. And that's that, you know, when you look at the guys you compare that situation to, Deshaun Watson, they said Tom Savage maybe because Deshaun Watson was drafted, you know, in just barely in, in the top 10, like, or just out just outside the top 10. And so when you've got a quarterback drafted outside the top 10, there's a different expectation. You don't want to rush that guy to the field. If he, he fell that far, it's usually either because there was no need for quarterbacks. And uh, trust me, if a team is picking in the top 10, there's likely at least one that needs a quarterback. Um, that or, uh, you know, maybe he's just not ready for the NFL, but he's got the raw skills to, you know, at a premium position that he was worth taking that early. So seeing CJ Stroud taken at number two, just because the Texans needed a quarterback didn't mean they needed to take one. They could have very easily gone with Will Anderson and, you know, decided to ride it out with Davis Mills if they if they didn't think C.J. Stroud was going to be battle-ready. And, I, you know, C.J. Stroud said he's he battle-tested. He's got the armor of God on him. So C.J. <laughs> Stroud believes he's ready. I think that based off all the reports coming out of camp that he has convinced a lot of the team that he's ready. I mean, Laramie Tunsil has said that C.J. Stroud is his QB1. I mean, if you're left tackle saying it, that I think that should speak volumes. So I think that um, it should, shouldn't really be – I don't want to say it should be a question. Obviously, C.J. Stroud also spoke to earning it. And, but I, I think that based off what we've heard from camp and based off of the skill level he's already displayed in college and how he's already adjusting to the NFL game through the early parts of the offseason without pads, that I, I believe he can earn the starting job, and I think it'll be quick. So – yeah, I mean, you draft someone that high, I I don't even know how far you have to go back to see a quarterback get drafted one of the first two picks and he doesn't start. Well, your comparisons that people will throw out your way is like, well, Patrick Mahomes didn't start or like Aaron Rodgers didn't start his first. You know, let, let's look at both of those situations. Aaron Rodgers, you know what the Packers did the season before he took over from Brett Favre, who, by the way, is a Hall of Fame quarterback? The Packers went 13-3 and three and won the division. So it's not like Aaron Rodgers was taking over like a slouch team that had just had Davis Mills trudge through an awful season and that he's going to be better for it for sitting behind Davis Mills, right? And then Patrick Mahomes sat behind Alex Smith, who is leagues ahead of Davis Mills in terms of what he's shown on the field. And he may not be a Hall of Fame quarterback um, yet or ever, but... 
you know, Patrick Mahomes sat behind him. Guess what? The Chiefs, they went 10 and 6 the season before Patrick Mahomes won, and they they won their division and went to the playoffs. So, both of those guys, Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, did not exactly fall into bad situations. They took over teams that were already set up to win, and they sat behind guys that could teach them the ropes of the NFL and they developed. And that yeah. is the ideal way that you do it in the NFL. You, you that's how you keep teams good is you get your next guy learning and get him in. Aaron Rodgers waited three years before he went in and started. The Texans don't have that time. They don't have that guy, and they don't have that success. Likely, without, I think their best option at quarterback, just based off a gut feeling, watching C.J. Stroud in college, call it what you will, but based off of what I, what I believe to be true, C.J. Stroud's the best option at quarterback, and that's the only way this team potentially contends to be a division winner going into his second season. Yeah, it would be kind of like if we still had Deshaun Watson and he was playing at a high level and they drafted CJ Shroud second, he's not going to start. He's going to play behind him a couple years later, but there's not anyone there. There's not and, anyone there to keep him from starting. But and the other thing too is, is that if that happened, say that, say that Deshaun Watson played the season that he was there and the Texans knew about the allegations, knew that he didn't want to come back, but he decided to play that season because the NFL hadn't decided to suspend him, and they drafted Davis Mills. Davis Mills would be, you know, obviously a later round pick, but he would be their attempt at, at uh, Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes, a guy who would have that situation where he's sitting behind a quarterback that's capable and a team that might actually contend for their division. And so, yeah, it's just it's different situations, and the comparison's just invalid. All right, the next topic is Texans numbers. And this is not the numbers that you did, which you did amazing predicting the numbers. Congratulations on that. Thank you. This is just numbers. I just wrote some numbers down to share with the fans. The Texans overall record 142 and 195 with one tie. Their playoff record four and six. And if we have these guys two and three, then who won the other playoff games? Um, the other playoff win was, uh, Brock Osweiler. That was against the Oakland Raiders back in 2016. They have won the division six times, 2018 and 19 was the most recent. The best winning percentage versus any other NFL team. Uh, it it is two of them. Can you name those? The, probably the. They're four and one, four and one, 800, four and one, okay. four and one. It is two NFC teams, two NFC teams, four and one. I would have to guess. I mean, my first instinct is to go to the NFC South and say maybe like the uh, Falcons. And then I know that it's not the Saints. Or that's not the, maybe it's the Buccaneers. Um, that's one of them. And then maybe the Panthers. Like I would just list off the NFC South first. Yeah. And work it's from the there. Buccaneers and the Lions. They're four Lions. one. The Lions. I actually recently made a video about one of the Texans wins against the Lions. You remember Thanksgiving of 2012? It was a great game. Love that game. Versus the division. You mean to keep you mean to ask you questions? See how let's check your knowledge. The what team Texans do they have are the best? 14 against the Jaguars. That's their best. Come on. I, yeah. I saw that stat today or maybe yeah. it was yesterday, but I, it's because I talk, I, so I, I talk a lot about 
how we do against the Jaguars and the Titans and the Colts. So like someone commented on a YouTube video, my most recent episode of Texans take someone commented and said uh, that it was unlikely the Texans would, would win against the Jaguars or the Titans at all this year. And so someone replied to that comment with the text. The Jaguars are 14 and 28 against the Texans or whatever. So <laughs> yeah. I, that, that's how I know that one. And the Texans are 19 and 23 against Tennessee, which we'll talk about them in a little while. And 10 and 31 against the Colts. That blows my mind. But I mean, yeah. they've been good for a long time when they had Peyton Manning. So I, I guess mean, I believe that, that. Isn't that crazy? The first Texans game I attended in person was Christmas Eve 2006. That was the, the year that the Colts won the Super Bowl, but it was also the first time the Texans ever beat the Colts. It was at that game. Uh, it was like a 190-yard rushing game from some no-name running back that I have no recollection of his name. <laughs> um, it was a fun game to watch. I've only been to one Texans game, and they played the Minnesota Vikings. It was tied. They went to overtime. And they hit Randy Moss deep for the touchdown and the win for the Vikings. You hate to see it. Can you name the two teams that the Texans have never beaten? Never beaten. You know, there was a point where I would have told you the Colts or the um, New England Patriots early on, but I know that we've beaten those teams. Um, two teams that the Texans have never beaten. One team they're zero and six against. And the other one is they're 0 and 5. Um, do we have a conference alignment? Are they both NFC or AFC? They're both NFC. That makes sense. Um, if I had to guess, I would say the Packers and the Packers and probably the Seahawks. No. Did I get they're, either one right? No. They're 0 and 6 versus the Eagles. Eagles. There we go. And that makes 0 sense. and 5 versus the Vikings. I could have sworn we had won a game against the Vikings. I, th I thought about it for a second. I was like, I'm going through the NFC North right now. I know we've beaten the Bears, but I don't know. <laughs> I remember that. that the, the reason I know we beat the Bears is because I, I can't remember what season it was. I think it was 09 or 08, but we like were eliminated from playoff contention the week before, and we beat the Bears, like pounded them, just absolutely smashed them. And they were like, if they won that game, they were in the playoffs. And I just remember being so happy that we we spoiled their their playoff chances. It's pretty nice to spoil things when you're a bad team. Yeah, a la the Lions this past year against the Packers. That was that was fun to watch. All right, our final topic, folks. Love you, Blue. So let's start with this. All during the off season, rumors speculate everywhere. Almost every day, you see renderings, you see photos everywhere of the Texans going back to the Oilers' colors, going back to their roots. And then all of a sudden, the, the uh, Tennessee Titans come out and say they're going to wear those a couple of times this year. Do you think there's any – is it a coincidence? It's just – what do you think? I mean, so I've had a couple of, of, of opinions on this. Obviously, as a younger fan of the team, I never really I, – I was barely alive for the last couple of years that the Oilers were even the name of the team, and I'm pretty sure that at least one of the years it was the Tennessee Oilers. Um, so 
my my understanding is is that the, the you know for some reason or another bud adams or the city of houston someone got mad at the other and decided to leave to see the grass greener on the other side or something like that but i mean there's different situations people will compare this to like the ravens how they the browns moved from cleveland to baltimore to take over as the ravens and the ravens honor baltimore colts in their ring of honor and there's all this stuff but the difference is, is that this is the only situation where when bud adams left he took the intellectual property that is the oilers with him because they moved as the oilers and they laid claim to that name even when they changed it they they sought to own the intellectual property that is the oilers themselves so i mean to me personally like i've never felt a huge connection to the oilers but i understand why the city has and i think with this leak of the titans jersey that they're going to use um, the biggest frustration that I identify with, and J.J. Watt even t- tweeted about it, and some Titans fan tried to question him on why he even cares as if he hadn't lived in the city of Houston for 10 years and played football there. But anyway, um, my biggest thing is is that they put Love You Blue on the like back of the collar, on the inside of the collar. And you know I don't know much about it, didn't really live it, but one thing I do know is, is that it is Houston, is very much... A, a Houston thing. It is not an Oilers thing. It's not a Tennessee Oilers thing. I don't remember the Tennessee Titans beating, you know, blowing a lead against the, you know, Bills in the '92 Wild Card game. So, uh, you know, I I just think it's petty to throw that on there like that, and act like it was it was theirs to begin with. There's a lot to unload in this. We we could probably do a 30 minute show just about this. But if you look at it, the Oakland Raiders went to L.A., back to Oakland, back to L.A., and now they're Las Vegas Raiders. So they've kept everything. They've kept the colors, the name, they kept the traditions. Everything stayed the same. The Baltimore Colts moved to Indy. Still the same. They didn't change anything. The St. Louis Cardinals moved to Arizona. What's funny to me as a fan is every time someone loses a team, someone goes back there. It's like, why don't you just take care of the team you had? So, that you know, we lose the Oilers and we get the Texans. And then the Chargers recently, San Diego to L.A. I can't think of any other teams that have moved cities. Can you? Just off the top of your head. Because I have no notes on this. That's just off the top of my head. So I said it earlier, the, the Browns moved to um... – Baltimore and became the Ravens, but they struck a deal with the city of Cleveland to give up the intellectual property that was the Browns name and the Browns very quickly, I believe it was within a year, had another franchise in the city, um, which is interesting to see because they probably should have just given the new franchise to Baltimore. But I mean, when you look at it, that means the Browns technically have a Super Bowl. They just didn't get it because they gave up intellectual property rights and became the Ravens. But... I mean, my thing is, so like, um, I, I talked a lot about the Ring of Honor when the Texans um, announced J.J. Watt. I was a little disappointed because I thought they should have he should have signed a one-day contract. He very clearly thought it was just a piece of paper, um, but that's a whole other topic. Um, in that talk, I compared the Texans' Ring of Honor to the Packers' Ring of Honor as justification for players like Arian Foster being considered. Um, but to get to the point, Someone uh, brought up the Ravens ring of honor and said the Ravens have Johnny Unitas and a bunch of Baltimore Colts in their ring of honor. Why is that? And the reason is, is because Johnny Unitas in the city of Baltimore was instrumental in the Ravens organization. 
um, early in its its life, he came around um, and helped out a lot. So when he passed, they added a bunch of Baltimore Colts as like sort of an honoring his life and his contribution to the organization. There, you know, if we look back at Oilers legends, um, you know, Warren Moon is sitting up there in Tennessee in Nashville talking about how excited he is to see the team wear the Oilers uniform again. So I think it's a little bit of a different, um, a different vibe there, if you will. So the Tennessee Titans are one of the few, if not, I can't really think of any other ones that moved and changed their names. I know, like you said, the Browns, the city kept the name, the colors, the records, they kept everything, right? And then, yeah, they so did. And, Baltimore and thought... is a legitimately real franchise with players that have records and all this stuff. But they were like, they were like the uh, the new team. They had they had no records. They started all over. Yeah, and that's I I looked up. So um, there are quite there are not very many teams that don't have a ten thousand yard receiver. And when I was looking up the stats, that's when I stumbled upon this question of do the Browns you know, history and stats count towards the Ravens, and they don't. Derek Mason's the leading receiver with like 8,500 yards, and the Ravens, along with the Browns, are one of the few teams that don't have a 10,000-yard receiver in their history. So, Yeah, the Browns are always pretty good. Some people don't know that. They were, they were always battling it out in the AFC Championship, but they just couldn't. You know, they had a fumble at the goal line. They had, I think, the... Uh, was it the Steelers? Who? What team had the drive on them? Oh, it was Denver. Denver. It was, it was Denver, John, John Elway. They had the drive. Like they were really close to getting to the Super Bowl. Then they built a good team that moved to uh, Baltimore. And, well, and, and the worst part is so, the Ravens and won the Super Bowl with the with the awesome defense and that that Super Bowl was like probably the two worst quarterbacks of all time. It's not like that took a long time to happen either. Like, understand that, like, I believe it was like 95 or 96 that the, the Browns moved to Baltimore. And then, like, three years later, three, four years later, they, they won a Super Bowl, like, with the picks that they made. And they, they built, like, a team that won a Super Bowl with yeah. Trent Dilfer at quarterback. Yeah. It seems like they moved to Baltimore. This is, I know it ain't true, but it seems like it. And you just said three, but it seems like they moved to Baltimore and then not that season, but the next season they win it all. And then you look in Cleveland, they already have a team. How long did it take for Houston to get to get a team? It was only like two years, right? So I believe that it was 96 that the Tennessee Oilers came into existence. As unfortunate as it was that they kept the name for two whole years. It may have been 97. But the, I thought it was 99. I it was 90, 96 or 97. And the it was somewhere around there, the Texans um, were there. Bob McNair was granted the franchise in Houston after like L.A. couldn't get their you know plan figured out for how they wanted to do it. Um, but he was granted the franchise in 99, I want to say. And then 02 was when we started play. So it, it was a quick turnaround in terms of getting the franchise, but in terms of the amount of time that there was in football in Houston, it was about a five or six year period. Hmm. Well, that's but, just what it seems like. Yeah. And, and I mean, so 
personally, my biggest thing with like the Oilers is is that like I understand their importance to the city of Houston, but their only real success out like Love You Blue is basically like the 2012 Houston Texans. Like the team did really good, won a couple of playoff games, but it it wasn't like they were a monumental dynasty. They just played good football for a stretch in the city of Houston. That was pretty much it. Um, before the NFL formed back in 60 and 61, they won the AFL championship twice. And so that's their biggest claim to success, but it all happened pre-Super Bowl era. So throughout the Super Bowl era, the the Oilers were pretty unimpressive. And so as someone who has lived with the Texans for this long and seen them be unimpressive for a significant amount of time of their existence, um, I don't see what there was to miss out of the Oilers outside of like, you know, Obviously, I understand watching a team play good football in your city is nice, but it's not like they accomplished a lot while they were here. All right, so I didn't give you my opinion on the whole deal with the Love You Blue or the, uh, t- the Titans wearing the the Oilers uniform. So for me, when I first heard of it, I was thinking these petty you-know-whats. Yeah. You know they, it, it, it's probably not true at all, but it's like they they hear us talking about or they hear the Texans talking about, you know, uh, uh, logos and color schemes. And they're changing them. And then all of a sudden they decide to wear them and they're in the same division. It's a rivalry. So maybe maybe there's some truth to it. I don't know. But the one thing that stuck out to me is that they were the Oilers. They moved to Tennessee and they were still the Oilers. And that that franchise is still the Oilers franchise that was in Houston. And that name belongs to them. It doesn't belong to the Texans. It doesn't belong to the city of Houston. But I do agree with you. Even, with, even the Love You Blue thing belongs to them. But I think the people in Houston, because it's not like they use that slogan in Tennessee. I think the Houston people in Houston think that, you know, you took our team, you're going to take our colors, you're going to take everything from us. Now you're going to take our saying, I think, but I think everything is theirs except the saying. keep the saying here. Well, that would be like if the Texans, I don't know, moved to Des Moines, Idaho. And, you know, 20 years from now, and then one day they were like, oh, we're, we're going to wear our throwback Texans uniforms. We're now the Des Moines potatoes, but we're going to be the Texans <laughs> for a day. And you know what? On the inside collar, we're going to put bulls on parade to honor, you know, the Texans defense of that year that really revitalized the city of Houston. And I personally would take issue with it. I, as someone who's a huge fan of the Texans, bulls on parade, one of my favorite eras of Texans football, as disappointing as some of the outcomes were. Um, I, I'd, I'd be livid if that was something they decided to do 20 years in the future. And you'd hear me complain about it to anyone who would listen to me. So like looking at it from that perspective, obviously I think love you blue, um, even more so with the, the way Columbia blue is steeped into Houston and the way that oil, which the, they're the Oilers cause Houston is, is huge in oil. Yep. That's why the Tennessee Oilers never made any sense. They're not a, they're probably not very much, if any oil in Tennessee, I never really, I think I saw a little bit when I lived in Memphis, but Memphis is hardly Tennessee. Um, so I, I understand the frustration from that perspective, and that's why personally I just think they it's petty. 
they said, you know, you know what will really make our division rivals mad is if we just put these, you know, three words on the back of our uniform. Yeah. And I think that's why they did it. I, I can't imagine anyone in that building even remembers what that is. Sometimes when I argue with people, they say I should have been a lawyer. But here, here's just a good point that I thought of while you're talking. Other franchises move and they keep the names like I talked about, the Raiders, the Colts, the Cardinals, the Chargers. And even you have teams in NBA, right? The uh, Utah Jazz. And young kids are like, why are they called the Jazz? It's because they were New Orleans, you know. But they changed the name because I don't know why they decided to do it. They should have just left it alone because it was a cool logo. It was a cool name, cool colors. But, like, they gave the name up. You know what I mean? They, they were the Oilers. So if you're sitting there saying, like, we're the Oilers, that's our history, that's us, then why aren't you still the Oilers? I mean, I would say that, the to, to counter your point, the deeper issue is is that a lot of those those teams worked something out with the city. Or, like, if, if you're leaving a city and you're bringing the name with you, uh, to this point, the only team in this discussion that has tried to use the same name is the, the Browns. And, you know, the, uh, the other teams didn't change their name. They just took the name with them to a different city. Yeah. So the Browns, you know, changed their name, and they also came to an agreement with the city to leave that name behind. The there was never going to be any such agreement between you know the Oilers and Houston because they left on such bad terms. So if they had left on better terms, I think that agreement could have been struck. But due to frustrations from one side or the other or both, um, that agreement was never agreed upon, which is why Tennessee, out of spite, you know, out of you know sheer, I, I guess. Sheer just I, I don't know hate for the city of Houston. They've hung on to the name. So then they'll probably wear them against the Texans. Probably. I mean, that's my guess. I think that if I'm in the Titans organization and I can get it cleared past the NFL, come whatever day the Texans go to Nissan Stadium, uh that hellhole that probably shouldn't even be hosting NFL games at this point. But yeah, then I guess at that point is when I would wear it if I was thinking back to how I could make the fans happy, it's yeah. just fan service. Well, that's all I have. I, I saw that the uh, Tennessee Titans, they had social media post. It had the old Oilers uniforms and the different helmets. And, and they were asking the fans, which helmet should we wear? But you got to, you know, I, I, I've got two sides. I, I got two different opinions on this. It's like that name belongs to them. You know, but now all of a sudden you want to flaunt it and you want to be the Oilers a couple of times a year. I understand that's your history, but you should have just stayed the Oilers. I don't know why they changed it. They're one of the only teams that I know of that have changed it, except like we're talking about Baltimore. And that's because the city didn't want them to take the name Cleveland with them. Yeah. And I mean, there's other cool throwback, like the Buccaneers and the Seahawks have cool throwback uniforms that are just the same team, but just like old, I guess, for lack of better words. Yeah. So like, that's cool. But like I, the Oilers, are one of the few teams where are the, the Titans, the Tennessee Oilers, the Tennessee Titans, whatever. At this point, they're the Tennessee Texans with as many Texans players as they signed on to the team over the past decade. But, uh, you know. Theirs is one of the only ones that, that reminisces on a, on a team that no longer exists. 
All right, buddy, that's all I have. So we could try to put another show together some other day. Uh, we'll have definitely a lot more to talk about. Um, training camps coming closer. Up pretty quick. I cannot wait to you know talk about the preseason games and the roster and and CJ Stroud, Demarc D'Amico Ryan's the defense, everything. Tank it's going to be exciting. What is that? It's my Tank Dell autograph card for when wow. he's big. Um, wow. Kept that off screen just to, just to show it right there. <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was at a baseball game, and I got Luke Berryhill's autograph because I was there to see him. And then I just happened to turn around, and Corey Jolks is standing there. And they're both in double A, so I'm like, ah, I'll get his autograph too. And, and it turns out to be... As of now, the bigger autograph of the two. But Luke Berryhill just had his new single come out. He's a country star. It's pretty awesome. If you have Apple Music, do you have Apple Music? I, I have Spotify. Okay, go get it. Check it out. It's awesome. If you have Apple Music or Spotify, go get Luke Berryhill's new song called Dance On It. All it's right. not it's not pop by like the, the country music nowadays. It's it's like a flashback to the nineties and now it's good at more of a George Strait guy, so Yes. All right. There, he he makes a reference to George Strait in the movie. In the movie, in the song. In, and in, Tony in, Lama, Tony Lama boots. Did he reference pure country? No. <laughs> That's the, the the original Dusty, not the original. <laughs> another another Dusty there. Yeah. I cross my heart. <laughs> oh. And promise to. All right, guys. We I, I wrote see you next time and it disappeared. So anyway, guys, thanks for tuning in for James Roy. I'm Rob Fontenot, and we will see you next time on the bullpen.